0: acknowledge the owners of this country, not the traditional owners, I'll explain that later um, and the ancestors I'd also like, while I'm here to acknowledge my ancestors and my, my owners of my country my father's uh, Boogatha, South Australia and my mother's started from down the south coast of New South Wales um, anybody who knows me knows that I'm the white sheep in the family <laughs> um, I suppose Uh, getting to the tin tax of native title Um, what people need to know about native title is it's nothing but a fraud Um, the easiest way to describe what native title is native title is a is a knee jerk reaction to resolution 262525 of the 24th of October 1970 where the UN passed a resolution that Australia assented to it stated two very important things. One was that the tribes could assimilate into the current UN member state, in this case called Australia, or we had the opportunity to establish our own separate sovereign states. And if we did that, in the exercise of our right to self-determination and uh, um, oh, sorry, my brain's just gone and our right to self-determination and equal rights, if we exercise that right, the, the Crown, in this case, is not allowed to subject us to alien subjugation. In other words, they're not allowed to subject us to the laws and the penalties of the laws of a foreign power, namely the Crown or the, the UK Parliament um, or any of the Australian Parliaments. The Australian Parliaments, we must remember, are nothing but corporations owned by the Crown Corporation from the City of London. Okay? They have no authority over a person, over a human being whatsoever. They can only deal in what is called a person. And if you want to know what a person is, your birth certificate is your person. You are not your person. Okay? You are the man, woman, or the child. The person is the corporate identity that has the name that you believe is attached to you. Um, The resolution from 1970 uh, stumped the Australian Parliament. because it realised it had to deal with either the establishment of a bunch of separate sovereign states within the boundaries of the continent or they had to find some legal way, not lawful but legal way, to bring the tribes under the subjection of the Crown. I'll just go back a bit. Um, We've researched this argument now for about 18 years. Um, We have some eminent legal minds that are now assisting us um, we've actually been able to call on a number of the, the ex-members of the House of Lords who have now realised that what their Parliament did to us or tried to do to us has now been done to them. In 1999 when Tony Blair amended the House of Lords Act um, which was an act of criminal high treason, he removed the bloodline connected Elders of Country from England from their, from their Parliaments or their Elders' Councils. The the the, uh, hereditary lords in England are the bloodline connected elders of country for that land and by by, by altering the act the House of Lords Act in 1999 Tony Blair introduced um, elected peers and he also changed a very long history in England but the best part about that is we now have the support of the bloodline connected hereditary lords in setting the record straight both there and here and the one thing we we're able to do is to, was to impress upon them everywhere that the Crown has done this to the tribes across the planet those tribes will stand up and help the hereditary Lords of England so long as the hereditary Lords of England stand up and assist us and back us in our calls to, for documents such as a writ of mandamus against the UK Parliament and Australian Parliaments in respect of the use of British statutes against us. We've researched the argument back the, the the, argument really in a legal context doesn't need to go back any further than the 8th of June 1383 but we've actually researched the argument all the way back to 450 BC to the Monomutine laws of England and we can prove that there is not one shred of evidence that supports any claim by any non-tribal person to any portion of lands in this country. Some of the things we discovered along the way um, I was fortunate enough to meet a, an, an old Um, uh, surveyor from Tasmania who was 96 when I spoke to him and he remembers about how they were told to draw up the plans for the Department of Planning and Department of Lands and when Australians buy a thing called a lot in a DP what they are buying is a thing called the location of title for the lot in a deposited plan, now that's just for the sake of the argument let's say that 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 pillar there is the plan that's held in the Department of Lands and the little switch on the back there, that switch is the lot. When you buy a lot in a DP, you are buying that little mark on the map. And that's why Australians are called landholders and not landowners, because the Crown has never been able to vest an interest in land that the Crown itself has never taken law for. Now, after 1970, the, I'll, I'll go, there were two orders in council. An order in council is a, a law made by the monarch of the parliament in the United Kingdom which can only be repealed or amended by that, that that monarch. If that monarch passes away, before that law is amended or repealed, it stands for all time. There was an Order in Council created in 1844 where Queen Victoria told the Parliament, and by law, that the Aboriginal people were not allowed to even sell land to the settlers if the alienation of that land was going to cause discomfort to the tribal people in the way of either prohibiting them from exercising their rights over their lands or conducting ceremony or observing their previous practices. Um, 1836 on the 19th of February uh, King William IV issued letters patent for the state of South or province of South Australia for example and those letters patent which gave a right to certain settlers to settle in a particular way on a particular portion of this continent had a caveat over them and those letters patent by ordering council, stated that they were not to interfere with the tribal people's right to their land or their enjoyment in that land, in the characters of themselves or their descendants, and it was open-ended. So Australia, South Australia, is, was, was not even allowed to be occupied beyond what the tribes themselves would, would give or allow to be occupied. Um, uh, when we sat with the... Uh, Rear Admiral Kevin Scars who was the Governor of South Australia at the time, I think from memory it was about 2007, yeah. February 2007 we pointed this out to him, um, he was fairly shocked and he came out on Living Black I believe it was and made a statement very clearly that the state of South Australia must revisit the letters patent and start to comply with them um, What happened in 1872 was there was an act created called the Pacific Island Protection Act now there are a number of academics who are saying that this act doesn't apply in Australia. Um, I don't have the time in 10 minutes to go into the argument as to why it does, but I will simply say that in the uh, amendment to the um, uh, amendment to the Criminal Code in 1999, uh, there was an amendment made, in, in the amendment, it, there was an insertion made into the schedule of the act. Um, the amendment in the schedule to the act or, or the schedule in the amendment stated very clearly that the government at that point in time, the Australian Parliament repealed the Pacific Island Protection Acts of 1872 and 1875 two very important problems with that nothing in the schedule to an act has any lawful effect because it's not part of the body of the act so therefore it's not part of law but um, there would be no grounds or need for the Australian Parliament to repeal that, those acts if they weren't applicable within the Australian territories But that's just a simple way of dismissing the argument that that the Pacific Island Protection Act don't apply. There is a more detailed argument, but um, don't have time. In 1872, the Pacific Island Protection Act was created. In 1875, Queen Victoria made another order in council. That order in council contained two very special sections. Section 6, which specifically barred the use of the Crown's jurisdiction against tribal peoples, Um, and and it specifically limited the exercise of that jurisdiction to British subjects only and the tribal people have never been British subjects. Again there is an argument that Aboriginal people by becoming Australian citizens become British subjects but the fact is that by becoming British subjects uh, when the government fails to inform us that by becoming Australian citizens we are becoming British subjects and we lose our tribal rights or supposedly lose our tribal rights that is an act of extrinsic fraud and nothing lawful can be gained by an act of fraud. But that's a very detailed argument, but it's, that's the simple aspect of the argument. The second part of that amendment that was vitally important was Section 7. And Section 7 says, under the title of Rights of the Tribes, that the Crown was not allowed to, ex- to extend or construe to extend sovereignty or dominion into the islands and other places. The other places, the Pacific Islands being the islands, the other places being the Australasian colonies. There are a set of rules called Halsbury's Rules. Um, these change over a period of time but the contemporaneous version in relation to the amendment to the Pacific Island Protection Act is edition 3. If you go to page 337 paragraph 559 part 12 and 12.1 it states that the Parliament of the United Kingdom was not allowed to usurp the sovereignty of the tribes and the tribes are not allowed to usurp the sovereignty of the Parliament of the United Kingdom that was why when Burnham Burnham put the flag in the cliffs of Dover the British laughed because they knew that he was not able to usurp their sovereignty then they were not able to usurp ours. And it also states in that section of Hallsbury's that every parliament is sovereign in its own right and a a subsequent parliament cannot derogate or take away from the the legislation of a previous parliament. Now, when when Queen Victoria gave royal assent to an an act of the British Parliament called uh, 63 and 64 Victoria, Chapter 12, an act that constituted Commonwealth of Australia, Section 9 of which is called the Constitution of Australia, That constitution contained two very important sections. Section 51.26 and Section 127. 51.26 said they could not make laws for people of the Aboriginal race. The reason they could not was because they had to comply with Section 6 of the Ordering Council of the 2nd of August 1875. They could not make laws for us. They could not exercise their jurisdiction over us. Section 127, which said they could not count us as part of their population, was put in there because they had to comply with section 7 of the Pacific Island Protection Act which said they could not um, extend their sovereignty over us or our lands and they couldn't count us as part of their population because we a separate sovereign races or tribes of peoples In 1967 there was a monumental fraud pulled over this continent. We must remember that any law that's given royal assent by a monarch of the Parliament of the United Kingdom applies to British subjects only Bear in mind the tribes are not British subjects and we're not British subjects at the time of the referendum in 1967 because we hadn't been given citizenship rights. Now, what happened was that the federal parliament asked a question of the Australian citizens. The question was, do you want to repeal section 51 or amend 5126 and repeal 127? The answer was in the affirmative, in all states and territories. So they amended... 5126 and repealed 127. The problem with that was that the only people involved in that were the British subjects and they were only talking about a law that affected them. The one thing that they failed to do, which was a monumental oversight on behalf of the Crown, was they failed to ask the tribes did the tribes acquiesce their sovereignty? Okay? Now by failing to ask that question and getting a decree if you want from the tribal peoples that we want to acquiesce our sovereignty we retain our sovereignty 1970 the UN resolution that says that we have the right to establish our own separate sovereign states so from 1970 when that resolution was created until 1993 the government had to work feverishly behind the scenes they created a bunch of statutes, they amended a bunch of laws and in 1993 they came up with a thing called native title now let's look at native title Anyone who's been to a native title meeting would know that the first thing you do when you walk in the room you get told that native title is subject to all other title rights. (coughs) The reason it is subject to all other title rights is because native comes from the Latin word nativus. And by the way, I know people have issues with the way I use words but in the street I'll use common English. When I'm in a court of law I'll use the legal terms. Now through the fraudulent conveyance of language they've taught us to use words that mean the wrong thing. In the street the word native means tribal or aboriginal which itself is an offensive term In court the term native comes from the Latin "nativus," which means someone born into slavery or servitude so native title is slave's title and if you want to question whether they're talking about a slave everyone knows that a slave cannot hold land cannot own land correct? The reason that there is a thing called a prescribed body corporate put in place is because slaves can't hold land and the land is invested with the tribes or the natives it's vested with the prescribed body corporate the prescribed body corporates are corporations that are registered to the crown and they are registered to the crown through the registrar of indigenous corporations who when they're good and ready some time up the track after the native title scam goes through they will appoint an administrator to the PBC and they will sell the assets including the land. (coughs) And then the land laundering is complete. A hundred years from now, none of the tribal people left on this continent were going to ever know that they had been robbed of their sovereignty through a fraud. In order to make a native title claim, you have to admit that you are a traditional owner. Again, in the street, the term traditional means customary or from old time. In legal terms, in the court... The term traditional comes from the Latin traditio which means someone who has sold their land to someone else. Hence the term, everyone's heard the term they use called trade and commerce. Why do they use, use the term trade and commerce if they mean the same thing? Well, they don't. The term commerce mean, relates to the, the, the use of money to buy and sell. The term trade refers to land, the trading in land, traditio. Okay. The, very, the very first form of transferring of title to land was called traditio from the, in, in Latin. That's that's where it comes from and that's what it means at law. So if you're a traditional owner first of all you sign on as a traditional owner you're signing on that you've sold the land to someone else. If you're asking the crown for some of that land back obviously you must have either sold it to the crown or sold it to someone else who sold it to the crown because you're asking the crown for some of that land. Now I'm I sort of used to mix in particular circles where I was taught a lot of things about the law and and governance Um, because I had white skin I was able to get in and out of places and then get close to people who wouldn't have otherwise spoken to me if I would have had dark skin but the fact remains that they taught me what I know and pardon the French but they are pissed that I am telling everyone when it comes down to the facts of, of native title Anyone who signs on to native title is giving their land to the Crown by way of a fraud. Nothing comes from native title. Ask the Mirror people who are about to lose their native title. I believe uh, if you look at the Dungati mob as well, um, down mid North Coast in New South Wales, um, they've had an administrator appointed to their PVC. Okay, so, and I think it was about 90 or 96 they got their determination through. <clears throat> we, can have, we can have a look at the, the Githubal for example we've been talking about this the last few days the Githubal had their native title determination made in 2007 I'm oh, sorry yeah 2007 yeah 17th August 2007 since that time the Crown has not transferred any lands to the PBC not one portion of the land that was to be transferred has been transferred We gave them notices that the Dithable accepted the um, abandonment of native title. When those notices were delivered they failed to respond because they couldn't respond to the terms of the notices and now what they've done is they're trying to force the reinvigoration of the PBC so they can force the issue of native title. (coughs) Pardon me. The the issue with native title isn't so much that that we, we shouldn't go down the road of native title. The issue of native title is that we don't need to. All we need to do is give notice to the crown in a proper form that we are here. If I'm a bit of an analogy. The crown's been looking around to see where the, where the tribal sovereigns are, but they can't see it because the tribal sovereigns are not standing up and saying, listen, on the 31st of December this year, your rent-free period ceases. From that day on, you pay rent. Right? The sovereign tribes aren't standing up and making themselves visible to the crown, so the crown is exercising the jurisdiction and the right that it has assumed. Or, in the terms of a letter that we got from um, the Lands Minister in New South Wales, they are working on the presumption that there is no sovereign tribe. Okay, because there is no one standing up saying, "We are a sovereign tribe." Okay. Um, uh, so far as um, what can happen in respect of native title and standing up against native title it's my understanding from uh, most of the tribes that I speak to, every tribe is different there's matriarch, patriarchal um, and there's different ways that they apply their law and exercise their law but most tribes when dealing with issues of land Require the whole consensus, the full consensus of the tribe to deal with that land. A prescribed body corporate is not made up of all of the people who have an interest, a tribal interest in land. It's generally a select few, and I don't mean a select as in um, a particular few, but it's, it's not always the whole tribe. And the whole tribe has a right to say in relation to that portion of law in relation to land. I know uh, both my parents, under, under tribal law, that's the case, particularly with the Golgotha. Now, there are people who are making agreements with the Crown um, as small groups in relation to native title, but they do not generally represent the whole of the tribe. Um, th- there's, there's so much that... I'm trying to condense this into 10 minutes and I'm brain's racing on... Um, it's a bit hard to sort of get out what I've got in here in 10 minutes. Um, the fact is that, that native title is a fraud. The Crown knows that it holds no sovereignty over the land. The only way that they can get hold of the sovereignty over the land is if by, by means of cajoling the tribes or conning the tribes into agreeing through the terms used in the native title process that the Crown owns the land and has a right to give some of that land back to the tribes under a particular form of title there are our problem is that we don't read things how many people have read the native title application form and how many people have actually looked at section Q or part Q of the native title application form you'll notice that it says that you must sign that the crown owns all mineral and petroleum and other rights in the land now Why do we need to sign off on that if the Crown owns it? Wouldn't that be a self evident fact? Why do we need to give consent to a consent determination before the federal court? It's because we own the land and we must consent to the divestment of that land under their law. They know they can't take the land. And in order for native title to be legitimate, there has to be consent for the transfer of title. We must give that consent. If we withhold that consent, there's nothing they can do. They'll jump up and down, they'll be bluff and bluster, and they'll carry on like a pack of pansies, but the bottom line is they can't do anything. And any mobs that have sort of sat back and held off and held off and held off on native title, you'll notice how frustrated the solicitors get. Right? They're not getting frustrated for any other reason than they've got they've got an agenda. Um we were up in um, Mariba about three months ago and we went to a meeting at Atherton where the North Queensland Land Council um, had one of its solicitors attending this meeting. <coughs> when we walked in and started asking the solicitor some questions like, we asked her, can you please explain a few of the terms that are related to native title that, that we would like to know. Um, we asked her about traditional, we asked her about native what she did was she got up, she smashed down the lid on the laptop computer and started abusing the elders. She was a Maori woman, started abusing the elders in Maori because they weren't doing as they were told. They weren't signing off on native title. Okay. Another thing you might find interesting is if you go through the native title act, you'll find at part five, uh, it lists all a definition of all the words that need to be defined in the act. The only two words that are not defined are native and traditional. The reason they are not defined is so that the Crown can manipulate those terms. They can imply to the tribes during the negotiations that traditional and native mean one thing, but then apply a different meaning in law if there's an argument. Okay? Why didn't you know it's native title, it's a legal process. Did you think we were using common English? That'll be the question. The, what, we, what we've got to remember is that we're not, when we deal with the Crown we're not dealing with honourable people. Okay. You show me an honourable politician, I'll show you a dead one. Okay. It's as simple as that. The fact is that these people know what they are doing. The solicitors, if they don't know these terms and they don't know what they're talking about, they're negligent and they shouldn't be practising. But the Crown won't take action against them because the Crown is benefiting from the fraud and the negligence being conducted by those solicitors and barristers. Have a look at native title. Does everyone, does everyone know what the term unconscionable means? Right, there's few people that. The term unconscionable at law means effectively something that a man of a of a fair conscience wouldn't do, a woman of a fair conscience would not do. It's unconscionable. Now, unconscionable is using improper means to do something. Now, I'll ask you a question. Consider native title. There are two interested parties. There's the tribe and there's the crown. We have the tribe over here. We have the crown over here. We have the crown's courts Crown's laws, Crown's barristers, Crown's solicitors all, right, all of the Crown's legal resources the Crown then gives a couple of bodgy solicitors to a tribe and says these people are going to help you yet these people have an allegiance to the Crown that is unconscionable okay? it is unconscionable for the Crown to even be a party to the negotiations there's, a, there's an interesting problem that the Federal Court faces all of the magistrates who sit in the federal court have what's called financial joinder to the crown. So when you're standing in court, there's the crown solicitors over here representing the crown, their crown barristers. There's solicitors and barristers on this side that are representing the tribe who have sworn into the crown's law society, etc. and their bar association. And there's usually a bloke dressed in a frock oddly enough, sitting up on the bench. And he gets paid by the same people paying them and the same people paying your barristers and solicitors. That to me is a bit odd. But that's the process they use. And why do they use that process? First of all, oh well, you're just a black fella. You don't understand what we're talking about, number one. So what you need is you need a barrister and you need a solicitor. And you need them to, to, to mediate between these barristers and these solicitors over here. And when these two go their separate ways... They'll go and sit out and have a cup of tea and discuss what's going on. And the only people who get jammed out of it is the tribe. Ask a native title solicitor or barrister, if anyone's going through native title at the moment, ask your solicitor or your barrister why aren't the terms native and traditional defined in the Act? Ask them do they know what the legal terms are, what, what the legal meanings of those terms are. Okay? Um, and, and let's get something else too when we talk about legal we're not talking lawful <coughs> lawful is according to law by law I mean the law of the land okay? when we talk about legal we're talking about legislative provisions legislation, acts of parliament which are not law because an act is a statute and a statute is the bylaw of a corporation and the reason they're called statutes is because the crown corporation owns those statutes. they're the bylaw of one of the Crown Corporation subsidiaries Okay, and a lot of people don't know that the crown isn't the thing that the Queen wears, when you see a police officer and he's got the crown on his arm that crown is the emblem for the Crown Corporation it's a corporation based in a place called the City of London which is a square mile in London City the Queen can't go in that square mile without consent from the City of London, in the City of London is where all the banks are and all the monetary monetary concerns of the planet are basically administered from that square mile in London. Now, the Crown Corporation subsidiaries, like, for example, the United Kingdom Parliament and the Australian Parliaments, they have an obligation to the Crown. They're not interested in seeing... They have no interest... The Crown has no interest in seeing the tribes come out with a benefit. The Crown wants to see the Crown win. That's why they've no, that's, why, that's why they've done things the way they have done. Excuse me for a second. What we need to do and the reason the reason that the Crown by the way has made sure that we were jammed into missions and we weren't educated um, was because They only needed to teach us one thing and that was the English language, common English because by teaching us the English language we can then consent to what they are doing because we understand what they are saying if that makes sense. Uh, We only need to understand their language to say yes we'll go through a native title, yes we'll sign off. It's even like the word understand is an interesting word. In common English the word understand means to to comprehend. In court the term understand means to stand under or admit to. That's why you get asked two questions. When you walk into court you get asked two straight questions. Do you understand the charges? Yes. So you've just admitted to them. How do you plead? Not guilty. You've just lied in the court. Your testimony can't be used. You're more likely to be found guilty. Another interesting thing just as a side too if you go through the um um Attorney General's website you'll find um, pages where they list a number of findings that are handed down in the courts if you go through the magistrates courts you'll find that every year in every state and territory between 82 and 87% of people are found guilty regardless of the crimes the reason for that is psychologically the public will accept losing 84% of the time before they start to ask questions And, and that also, by the way, that magic number, 84%, is what you will lose when you put a dollar coin into a poker machine. You will lose 84% of the time. Right? They're programmed that way because they know that you won't tolerate much more than that. But that's just an aside. But that's how the crown works as well. There's a lot of psychology in what they do and how they do it. Um, Callum, is there time for any questions? any questions. Okay. The answer is absolutely, and I also find it interesting. The statement is, "If you don't participate, your land will be mined anyway." See, the land belongs to the tribes. It doesn't belong to the Crown. It never has. The reason, the whole reason, the Crown has to use native title, is because that is the mechanism they use to strip the title from the tribes. Nothing more, nothing less. It's very simple. Native title is nothing more than a mechanism to transfer sovereignty. Okay? And the fraudulent everything the Crown has done in relation to native title and getting us to a point where we can deal with Native title is fraudulent. The fraudulent conveyance of language, the fraudulent use of legal terms, the unconscionable conduct between the courts and the legal people representing the Crown and and the tribes, and the unconscionable conduct um, of the members of the bench who should know better than to participate in a matter where they have a financial interest. Um, no judge on any bench, as far as I'm concerned, who gets paid by the Crown can say that they are independent of the Crown. If I was on two, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 a year um, uh, and I didn't have any morals, which most of them don't, um, I think it would be pretty hard-pressed to do something that was going to upset the apple cart. Particularly... Um, if you're a member of the bench and there was a little something in your background that like a little pimple that they could squeeze if you did do that. Okay, And have a look at some of the members of the bench. Um, sometimes you've got to get into the right place and move with the right people to see what these people do. Um, you'll know why certain members picked, certain people are picked to be in a particular position on the bench it's because they've got a thumb on their head they've got a little pimple that can be squeezed if they step out of line and the judges that hear the matters of native title I doubt they're any different Um, anybody else question of native title any other questions yes Yeah, What you're saying is effectively correct but um, I could cite Justice Brennan who in a, uh, a paper that was delivered in 2016 uh, September 2006 up at the law courts up here at the Bar Association's annual dinner, um, made a comment that it was very clear that there was a system of law on this continent when they arrived and they know that. You've only got to read things, for example there was a uh, commission of inquiry between 1835 and 1840 in the House of Commons and it was called an inquiry to Aboriginal people wherever British settlements were made. And the statements that were made were, for example, by um, previous governors of New South Wales and, and people of that standing and members of parliament, etc. that they knew they could not come here and steal the land because it wasn't theirs. They knew that the tribes were sovereign peoples. They knew that they had no right to, to slaughter people. They had no right to poison people. They had no right to do any of the things that they were doing. Even under their own parliamentary provisions, their own statutes, prohibited them from doing it. Um, The fact that they were prohibited from doing it was okay in London but the problem was we had settlers out here that had cash and they could just do what they wanted. They were half a year sailing away from England and there wasn't a lot of news about what was going on here getting home and a lot of news about what was going on here has been destroyed. It's very hard to find proper records of, of the slaughters. Um, that that happened around the country. There's bits and pieces, but there's there's not a lot of um, what you would call perfectly documented instances of, of of the slaughters, of the handing out of blankets with pox in them, or um, the giving of flour with uh, with um, uh, arsenic in it. Actually, I heard a comment the other day. There was a woman from up near uh, Toowoomba Way, um, and it's in it was recorded in the papers. This woman was proud of the fact that she had poisoned more Aboriginal peoples with flour with arsenic in it than had been killed by all other people in the area put together. She befriended the Aboriginal people and just kept feeding them flour with arsenic in it. Uh, and it's actually recorded. It's, it's like, yeah, you know, did a good thing. You know? Um, and I, I really think it's about time Australia started to deal with this stuff because um, the problem that Australians have got is that their whole existence is based upon, first of all, a lie, and second of all, it's based upon the destruction and the annihilation of the oldest living human culture and process and and, 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 um, uh, uh, law on on this planet. And Australians are starting to wonder why this place is going to rack and ruin. It's going to continue to go to rack and ruin until the people... Stand up and say, "Listen, we need to face this front on, and we need to deal with it, and we need to move forward in truth." You know, we all know that, you, but something based on a lie doesn't stand. Parliament. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with that is you can't create something and move from today forward. What we've been doing is encouraging tribes to reconvene their tribal councils, because those tribal councils are then brought from the point in time where they stopped to now, and they they then stand in in a place called first in time, best in law. Right. And now by they're it, they're way yes, a yes, um, we're actually at the point now we've been discussing. For, for some time um, with um, members of the House of Lords and, and unit um, uh, Temple Bar and places like that, the process forward and, and from what we can see, probably the best way forward on this continent would be that between in a federal sense, um, once we get the tribes to a point where each of the tribes has got their Elders Council reconvened, established and have their, their, their law in place and are, are moving forward on that basis each one of those tribes elects a male and a female Elder who steps up to a Senate. Now between two sittings of the, the, the Federal House of Representatives the, the Monarch, the Governor General and the Senate is removed and they are immediately replaced with a, a Senate for want of a better word that is, that is constructed or, 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 or created from two members, a male and female, from each of the tribes. So that what we do, we replace the fraudulent sovereign, being the Queen of England, with a true sovereign, which is the sovereigns of each of the tribal nations. And that Senate sits over the House of Representatives. It's also proposed that what we'll be doing is removing all political parties, so that it will be illegal to be a member of a political party, Because if you read the Constitution, the House of Representatives does not include a Prime Minister. The Prime Minister was put there to cause division in the House of Representatives to divide the people so that they had to pick a side in the fight. Um, And you'll know it's a bit like, if anyone knows anything about the Masons, it's all red and blue. It's like Holden and Ford. It's like Liberal and Labour. Now, if you remove political parties... You then can force the politicians to finally comply with Section 28 of the Crimes Act which states, um, 1914, which states that anybody who interferes with someone else's political liberty is guilty of a crime. The punishment at this stage is a mandatory three years. We'd like to increase that to about five or ten. But what would happen is that anybody who is a member of the House of Representatives who is proven to be in collusion with someone else to amend or influence a a, a vote in the House of Representatives would get five to ten years. Okay. so that would stop collusion and it would mean that, that the representatives would have to represent their constituents our, our, our federal representative or well not my federal representative but the federal representative um, in the Northern Rivers a lady by the name of Janelle Saffron. I spoke to her once and I asked her a question I said why won't you vote the way the people in the street want you to vote in the house she said well I vote the way the caucus tells me to vote okay well then maybe it should be the caucus who elects the politicians and not us but the fact is the caucus in doing that is breaching the Crimes Act. Right? And as a consequence of that, everything, every vote that's been carried on the basis of that is, is unsafe. Um, um, and by the way, just, just one other thing, just as an aside, and I've spoken I've spoken to Robbie, where is Robbie talking? I've spoken to Robbie about this and i and I say this with the utmost respect to both Robbie and to Dennis Walker and Kevin Buzzacott and <clears throat> to Paul Coe in February this year we were over in South Australia in the courts and we put an argument up um, in relation to sovereignty and the prosecution stated the only evidence they could come back after six months um, what happened was that the court issued the 78B1 notices for the Attorney, General's, Attorney General to become involved they collectively put their heads together to fight the argument that we put up And the only thing they could come up with was they said that there are four authorities, which is Buzzerkot, Thorpe, Walker and Co. uh, in the High Courts that proved the Crown's assertion of sovereignty. What we we did was we, we cut them off at the knees with a very simple statement. What happened was, and Robbie can verify this, was that Robbie and the others went into the High Court and they sought from the High Court particular remedies. Is that correct, Rob? Yeah. yeah, but the problem is by going into the court and asking the court for advice or remedies or, or any outcome, you are invoking the jurisdiction of that court. You're asking that court to determine. What we did in this particular case was we denied the jurisdiction of the court and we continued to deny the jurisdiction of the court and what we said was that by denying the jurisdiction of the court we are not invoking that jurisdiction. And until such times as the court can prove its jurisdiction before an independent arbiter, which is no Crown Court, then the matter can't be decided. That matter has still been stayed. We've had the same thing done. I had uh, 58-odd charges against me. Um, The words of the district court judge were, I don't care if I can or not, they're stayed. Because the prosecutor was arguing that they should not be stayed. He said, I don't care, they are stayed. Because he can't do anything about what I did because I've, I've claimed at all points in time that I did not invoke the jurisdiction of the court, I did not recognise the jurisdiction of the court and I stand outside the jurisdiction of the court until such times as a, an independent party can affirm that what the Crown has done here is lawful and by asserting its sovereignty on our land contrary to its own legislation, gives it a right to take my sovereignty from me. Right. Now that's that, that was um, it took us We were in court for less than 15 minutes before the magistrate um, set the matter aside and that was in February and and she set it aside from the 14th of February this year. Now it was set aside to the 22nd of February next year um, because they don't know what to do with it. And we'll go back in next February and they'll just set all this aside again. And what we're doing in the process is we're slowly joining these cases together and we're moving them closer to the High Court. When we get to the High Court, we only have one question for the people sitting on the bench and that is you get paid from the Crown because if they get paid from the Crown they are disqualified as being competent to hear the matter we then go before Privy Council Um, I've even had the District Court has agreed that I have the District Court actually agreed with me that Walker is an unsafe verdict but he said he could not not issue a judgement against it so he just stayed everything because he said I know it's unsafe from the evidence before me now I know it's an unsafe verdict, a judgement but I can't do anything about it Um, and that matter has been set aside And we successfully argued that as a sovereign um, until that sovereignty is disputed and proven to be uh, invalid I have the right to go before the Queen in Privy Council to seek her, to instruct her her minions to act according to my sovereignty on my tribal lands. Now um, that has sent some some waves through the um, legal and judicial systems in New South Wales and I suppose across the wider country. Um, we. It's, I wrote a document called the uh, a Notice of Rebuttal. Um, it's a shame Karen's not here today or Tom because um, I don't know how many know Karen Coghill. Um, her young fellow Tom was in court he walked into court with a copy of this document and all he had to do was put his name in the right place and his tribe's name in the right place in the document. Um, he walked in and served the document on the bailiff. As soon as the, the magistrate heard that the document, he said that they'd served the document, he said you've been served. The magistrate asked what the document was. He said it's a notice of rebuttal and apparently he went into meltdown and started screaming that he didn't want the document in his court. He knows what the document means and what it does. Um, rah, 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 they pulled police into the court and tried to force the young fellow to take the document out of court. They refused to do so. Um, I believe the matter was stayed. Um and he was allowed to walk out of court. Um, The Crown has been arguing that they do not recognise tribal law. Um, One of the things we did this year was, um, uh, I've been sitting on on documents because what we do is every time we go into court we we hit them with a few more documents so they get the picture. And they get the picture nice and firmly and slowly. (coughs) How many people have read the ab Study application form? I mean, really read it. Because it holds a pearl of wisdom. I had a, I had a, a prosecutor telling me that the, um, uh, the court, the Crown, did not recognise Aboriginal law, tribal law. And I argued that it did. And what I did was I pulled out the AB study form, Part B, and I brought the, the, the Crown's attention to page 4. <clears throat> Question 16 says, What is your current relationship status? And the term current is in capital bold letters, meaning right now. What is your current relationship status? And there's a bunch of options and they're all listed equally on the page which means they all have same, the same legal validity. And option seven is, are you married and is your marriage recognised under Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander law? What we argued was that given that that is a Commonwealth Government printed document and that that document has been used in the Commonwealth's courts to prosecute tribal people, on the basis of either making a false declaration or obtaining monies for a study they did not undertake, the Crown could not um, um, uh, discount that document and the court had to give it legal weight. That created what's called an equitable estoppel on the Crown from claiming that tribal law doesn't exist. The fact is the Crown recognises through contract law and through its own judgments in its own courts <coughs> oh, that tribal law does still exist and there is an old legal maxim that says first in time is best in law now if we are first in time our law is the best and there's nothing they can do about it we've got a few more documents that will we'll, probably over the next six months we'll be leaking these documents out <coughs> and, and the reason we're doing it is because we're working to a fairly structured plan um, we're not just going to try and race off to England and start a court case in England just to be the first ones to do it. Um, we're actually going about it. The original Solomon Tribal Federation, our legal team is going about constructing a legal case on the basis of a bunch of legal cases that prove from the bottom in the Magistrates' Court through to the High Court, into the Privy Council, and then into the European International Courts that the Crown has no jurisdiction. <laughs> So uh, are you, yeah. I just ask you yeah. So you are saying that you use this Yeah. Could we drag that out when we go and uh, fight against docs? Uh yes. <coughs> yeah. Um docs um Docs they have got an Achilles heel. It takes a little bit of time to explain what it is. Um, but um, Kiara's here, somewhere, um, was fighting for her custody of her nephew. Um, it, it took one letter. One letter and I think 48 hours. Yeah, um, yeah there's, there's a, there's, it can be used basically in any, any, any legal challenge by the Crown. The notice will be just watching it. Yeah, thanks for that, Uncle. Thank um, our next speaker is um, Uncle Coco, Uncle Wayne Wharton. Um, but just before he comes up, we'll just hit um, Uncle Kevin. Just to come up here and just do a quick welcome to country. I forgot to, my bad, say, say it before. I'm one of the traditional going to welcome. Uh, good morning and welcome to this first native title, Sovereignty Conference. Uh, you're all welcome on my territory. We thank the uh, foreigners for being here to show their support. We ask that you enjoy the day and and take the information that is given with a complete heart. Thank you. Now I'll just ask Uncle um, Coco, Wayne Morton to come to the mic. Come on, man.